For Spurs fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews and the best Tottenham videos and podcasts, download the free Coys app now from the App Store and Google Play. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Come On You Spurs podcast. My name's Dan Tracy and I'll be your host for the next 45 minutes or so as we talk all things Tottenham. Because win or lose, we'll discuss the news. It's three up top this evening, but I've activated the rotation policy once again. That means, Cole, you've taken back the captain's armband. How have you been since your spell on the treatment table? Yeah, it was it wasn't too bad, mate. You know, last week was picking up towards the end of the week, but unfortunately we had a we had a massive setback, didn't we? So uh, the week didn't end so well. So things can only get better this week, mate. Absolutely, that's the spirit. James has been dropped for a discipline breach. No, not really, he's just busy. But that does mean, return to the first team squad tonight, is a returning Holly. So Holly, you've been a content-making machine as of late. How have things been with you? Yeah, not too bad. I mean, I'm slowly getting there. I think uh, now that work's picked up a bit with all the kids back in, I don't know how much content I'm going to be able to make. But I'm happy to be back, just sadly, it's after a loss that we're all kind of a bit gutted about. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on board tonight. And also... Making his return is the birthday boy and a man with plenty of energy, it's Patrick. So Patrick, I hope Spurs haven't dented the birthday too much, but how have you been since we last spoke? Oi, 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 I'm good people, I'm still bringing that energy, still happy to be here, it's my birthday, so I won't let Spurs dampen my spirits and yeah, I'm ready, let's go! Fantastic, right, before we do, let's get the social media bits out of the way first so we can dissect last week and more in full. As always, don't forget to subscribe to the Coming Spurs app where the podcast is available each and every Tuesday morning. You can, of course, follow us across social media. We're on Twitter at COIS underscore COM. We're on all the major audio platforms. That's Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, etc. If we're not on one, let me know and I'll get it on there for you. And if you listen on Apple, don't forget to leave a five-star rating. Right, let's get down to business. And Cole, for all that head of steam that we built up in both the Premier and the Europa League over the past few weeks... There's nothing like a North London derby defeat to take the wind out of your sails. Yeah, there is, isn't there? Um, I think, you know, I think the biggest disappointment was given how we'd played in the last few games and we suddenly kind of thought, okay, you know, we found a formula that works and actually we started to look really dangerous and and attacking. Um, And for me, I think, you know, the biggest disappointment was we seemed to go back into that kind of low block style of football didn't we where we didn't want to show too much kind of creativity or or intent to go and attack them and you know I know we'll get into it later but you just kind of think that you know you're playing a side that recently as well have just shown their defensive frailties so you know our best form of possible, you know, defence against most teams is going to be going forward and attacking them because we've got the players in form and, and doing the business. Um, so, you know, you have to question why we seem to kind of play within ourselves and go back to or revert, seem to revert to that style of negative football again um, against a team we really shouldn't have been doing that against. And in the end, it's come back to bite us, hasn't it? And we're sitting here looking at a performance that... You know, we said before we started recording, Dan, you know, dread words dreadful and woeful don't really sum up that performance, if I'm honest, because it was worse than that, wasn't it? You know, it, it you know, we could say a lot of words here that probably we'd, we'd need a beat machine <laughs> to go in overdrive, to be honest. Um, but it was just so disappointing because they were kind of there for the taking. There's no way we needed to fear them. And actually, we've come out of that game looking like, you know, little timid boys who just got taught a lesson 
by, by, by a team we shouldn't have got taught a lesson by. So, Holly, with results going our way on Saturday, it's set up perfectly to take full advantage, especially in the context of the top four race. Dare I say, almost a little too perfectly. So, if the day before, shall we say, set up the script for Sunday, is it fair to say that Tottenham completely fluffed their lines? Pretty much. There's no other way to put it, really, is there? It was all set up nicely, and then Tottenham come along and caused me more aggro than I need. I mean, the fact that, like you said, everything was going sweet and happy. We turn up. I mean, dare I say we turn up, because it looked like we didn't even come out of the tunnel. And that's the most frustrating thing. You're thinking to yourself, this is a derby. Those lads have got to be up to it. And I'm not going to be, I'm not going to lie to you because I was, I was confident. And that's probably the first time I've been confident in a long while. And I feel like now I, I should never feel that way again because, like I said, you just wanted a bit of fight and a bit of passion. And it just wasn't there from the off. And you're thinking to yourself, what on earth has gone wrong? Because like Carl said, those games leading up to that game is why I was so confident because I was thinking to myself, OK, I can't take form too much into it. But when you're playing the way we were playing and we were actually finding some sort of playing ground at the moment you've got to be thinking to yourself this is here for the taking but again I should never get so confident well you know I think we're all guilty of falling into that trap and I don't think it was misplaced confidence as you say Holly we were playing really well now I know it's difficult going to the Emirates have we won once there in terms of the North London derby in the league I think that's right yes it is so the odds and history was stacked against us but before actually going into that game and Arsenal's mid-table woes himself, he thought, actually, maybe there is a decent chance. And as we all know, that was not the case. But Patrick, it's incredibly hard to put a positive spin on Sunday. To be honest, you can't really. However, I'm going to try and find one kernel of optimism in the context of the top four. And that is that of our direct rivals, I know Liverpool are playing as we record, but everyone else, only Chelsea added a point. So although we didn't take advantage in any way, the rest of the gang haven't got out of the distance yet. Yeah, that's it. I mean, like Holes and um, Carl just said, they were there for the taking. I felt this is the conf- most confident I've been going to a North London derby at the Emirates in God knows, probably forever, to be honest. Um, and yeah, I just we just didn't turn up at all. And it is a shame because Chelsea dropped points, Everton dropped points, Man United were playing West Ham later on that day. So we knew someone was going to drop points from, from that uh, perspective. And Arsenal were there for the taking. That's the worst Arsenal team I've seen since I can remember, if I'm being honest. Uh, the fact that they are where they are, they, they're very vulnerable um, defensively. We were we hit some good momentum and form. They all look good. Kane, Son, Lucas Moura playing in that ten role. I thought we were gonna I thought we were gonna turn them over, if I'm being honest. And um I thought we would obviously make uh some good momentum on that top four and really push for it. And we just yeah. It was bad. <laughs> That's all I can say. It was bad. So, um, yeah, really disappointing. And um, like you said, we didn't really take advantage of that top four gap. Every time I give myself that bit of optimism and every time I think that we can really push for a top four place again, it just gets um, thrown in my face. So, yeah, I'm not even going to think about it anymore. Well, Carl, you're going to have to think about it with this question because last week I spoke about a monster run. There's 10 games to go. There is time. But on the evidence of what you've seen on Sunday... Then you look at Man United at home, Everton away. Can you really get eight wins out of ten that you probably need? You know, is that actually going to be feasible? I think that's the problem, isn't it? I, I think, you know, while top four was still there, as we said, you know, you, you were going to have to go on a run and a, and a real good long run of games. And, and all right, you know, we were five, you know, the last five games we played really well. But when you're looking at a league run, 
I think the concern was always there about whether we could keep up the consistency of performance to keep doing that, especially given, you know, obviously we've got the League Cup final to think about, you've got the Europa League to think about, um, and obviously, you know, that Europa League brings in your Thursday, Sunday. Um, so I think the biggest concern was that could we actually go on a run of that magnitude? Um, and, and I probably, you know, your heart probably says, yeah, we can do it. But, you know, the intelli- your brain says, no, I just don't think we've got the, the kind of consistent quality in the squad other than, say, Kane and Son that you think gives you the confidence to believe you could go on that kind of run. You know, defensively, we're still a little bit shaky. Um, you know, if Kane and Son don't fire, do we have the firepower to kind of, you know, take teams out of the equation? So it was always going to be difficult, but obviously there was some hope there. But I think, yeah, that performance has kind of just thrown some water all over that fire, isn't it? And and now we're like a barbecue that's kind of cooling off out in the garden, aren't we, after a long, hot day? Um, and actually, you, you've kind of got to regather your thoughts and think, do we really have the squad and the players where we think we can go on a run to get in there? Probably not. I think we're probably going to fall just short this season. Um, And obviously, as we keep saying, almost every summer, there needs to be a bit of a rebuild at the club um, in the summer. But again, will we be able to get that? Who knows? But I can't see us putting the runner form together to get us in there. I think probably the the four that are there now will probably just see it out and, and keep us out of there. Um, and then you've got to start asking the question around, OK, do you start prioritising the Europa League now, given that is a route into the Champions League next year? Um, it's just a shame. But yeah, I think ultimately we'll probably just fall short because I don't believe there's the consistent enough quality in the squad, bar a couple of players that, that can see enough games out and get enough results in all those games to get us over the line. So Holly, when you're watching a North London derby, it's never easy at the best of times. And usually you can get a sense for the flow of a game within 15, 20 minutes. You know, that's usually a precursor to the next 70. With that in mind, did you watch those first 15, 20 minutes and think, hang on, something's not right here? Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, you've seen, obviously, from the way we set up, I was thinking to myself, hang on, we've really got this. Bar Doherty, obviously, I thought maybe Serge probably would have been the better person to stick him right back. But regardless, I'm thinking we've got the intent to go in and actually do something today because we've seen in recent weeks when we've played that sort of formation, it's worked wonders. But obviously, when we came out and it seemed like we were off the pace, nobody really wanted to press the ball. And I'm thinking to myself, hang on a minute. This is a North London derby. There should be some passion to try and hunt that ball down. It, it just really wasn't there. And the fact that you could see that side where Doherty was, that it was just getting ripped all day long. And part of me does feel very concerned in that position because I don't think we've really seen enough of Doherty for me to really warrant him starting in that North London derby. I mean, there's jokes flying around that he secretly is the Arsenal fan that we all know he is. And like, whether that was why he played so bad, who knows? But the thing is... For me, he just isn't good enough there. And the thing that really frustrated me was the fact that we never really did anything about it. The fact that, obviously, Jose decided to put Sissoko in there and then fought our our attacking options with Bale coming off. So, for me, from that off, you're thinking to yourself, hang on a minute, so it's not quite right here because these lads aren't up for it at all. And, of course, Patrick, after 19 minutes, something wasn't right at all because the hamstring injury to Hume Min Song happened. Now, it's hardly, shall we say, an explosive run 
that caused the injury. But after doing literally nothing in the game beforehand, and the fact he's played every Premier League game this season, is it no real surprise that his muscles are finally letting down? Yeah, I was thinking that. I mean, you know, you always want to be positive. And you don't want to be a you know a negative or a negatron. But I was thinking Son's due an injury at some point because he, he plays literally every game. And even when he, we can rest him, we don't rest him. So, um, yeah, it was, you know, he pulled up. Um, the good thing is, is that we took him off straight away. I hope it's, you know, I hope it's not a bad one. Um, but it doesn't look good, does it? And the fact that, like you said, I mean, Son and Kane, they are the, probably the most deadliest duo in Europe. Easily the Premier League. They're, you know, they're on another wavelength. Uh, to, like they're tele, tele- I can't say the word. But I think you guys know what I'm saying. Yeah, in yeah, terms I get it, I get it. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's a big blow. It's a big, big blow. And we missed him in that game yesterday. There was no one making those runs in behind and there was no one that they had to really worry about. Um, so, you know, I'm praying that he only misses a few games because we need him for the Prem. But more importantly, we need him for that Europa League run. Well, with him being injured, it might, dare I say, and I hope this doesn't happen, lead to some poorer Premier League results to follow and that might make even more important to the Europa League and as Cole then says at what point do you prioritise it might be that without assuming that we'll get through on Thursday but let's assume we do that we then get an easier draw you know it might be Granada might be Rangers in the quarterfinals and then there's an opportunity to rest players again but at that point you have to really sort of then put all your eggs in that basket so it's going to be interesting to see at what point we are in say game 32 game 33 and we're still in the Europa League, hopefully, is that the time to pull the trigger and think, right, it's Europe or bust. Now, we've got some listeners' questions from a handful of people. I think it's about half a dozen or so. So thank you to everyone who took the time to send them in over the course of Monday. And Carl, you're up first. I've got one from Hasper92, and he asks, how long until fans start blaming the players instead of the manager? He reckons that players need to take collective responsibility for performances such as Sunday. Does he have a point? And should we start blaming those on the pitch instead? Well, I think, yeah, you know, it, it's always a mixture, isn't it? You know, you, you have you we don't know, but you kind of sit there, you know, and the, the performance itself led you to ask the questions, didn't you? Why were we so negative from the beginning or seem to be playing in such a negative fashion? Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, come later in the game when we're 2-1 down and down to 10 men, we suddenly, it's, it almost felt as though the handbrake was taken off and suddenly players were told, go on in, go and attack, do your stuff. And all of a sudden we start kind of running the game and looking really dangerous. So that does lead you to ask, well, was the tactic there that, you know, we I want to I want you to go out and play in this fashion, um, to which if it is, then, you know, the manager's got to take the blame for that, hasn't he? Because it, it wasn't the right tactic to go with. Um, but then there is that element of at a certain point, if, if something's not going the right way, even if you're players on the pitch and you've been told to play a certain way, there is a collective responsibility for players on the pitch to actually say, well, we're the ones that can change this. So come on, this this doesn't really seem to be working. You know, let's try and do something different. You know, players have got to take responsibility for their own performances, haven't they? You know, like as we say, they're not computers. Jose, it's not FIFA, so Jose isn't controlling them from the sidelines with a controller. And when a pass goes wrong, you can sit there and say, well, that's on the manager. You know, players not being able to make simple, short passes, that's on the player. Player, players not making good decisions or using a good football brain of when to maybe do something and when not to do something. And I'm sure we'll come to a perfect example of that a little bit later on with Lamella. 
you know, the manager can't be blamed for that, can he? You know, at no point has Jose told him, listen, if we're, if we're losing, go and start swinging your arms around or stick yourself into some naughty tackles. Um, so that is on the players. So it's a collective, though, isn't it? You know, at the end of the day, you just got the impression on Sunday that nothing really was right. You know, the tactics potentially and maybe the lineup didn't look didn't look right. Players didn't seem to be on it. You know, Ndombele looked tired and had probably one of his, you know, he went back to the Ndombele of last season, if I'm honest. Um, Kane look, Kane didn't look right, to be fair. You know, I kind of got the impression he might still have been carrying a slight knock from that Europa League game. Obviously, you lose Son early doors and that throws you a massive problem because he is one of your key players. Um, and then, you know, just really sloppy in general, you know, giving the ball away when we didn't need to. You've got a right back where, you know, you may as well just put a, you know, a training mannequin out there because it would probably do just as good a job. Um, and all those little things into the mix and it just results in a bad day. So I don't think you can pinpoint, pinpoint one person. The whole, you know, the group have to take the blame. Certain people have to look at themselves. Um and you'd like to think, you know, that they'll learn from these lessons and maybe not make those same mistakes going forward. But how many times have we sat here on a Monday, possibly overlooking silly mistakes, not playing well, um, for it to actually seem to think, well, nothing changes. So what is the problem? Is it the manager? Is it the players? I think ultimately it could be a mixture of, of, of all of them at the moment, I'm afraid. Oh, yeah, it's never one entity, is it? You know, there's always responsibility that needs to be shared. And I think it would be unfair to target the manager in a performance such as this. I know he didn't really cover himself in glory, but I think the players have to stand up and say, yeah, we got this one wrong as well. But Holly, we also need to talk about Gareth Bale. Because when me and Cole were on your pod last week, all was well. You know, he's back. Sunday, it looked like we bought Gareth Bale from Wish.com. So with that in mind, FPL Open asks, isn't it best to expect Bale to be more of a super sub rather than a starter? Yeah, it's really hard to even decipher it. I think we may have slightly jinxed him. I'm the biggest jinx going, so who knows? But it's strange. I mean, rumours have come out that apparently Bale picks his minutes and apparently he wanted to start that North London derby. But again, he was kind of ghosting for most of it. And we all kind of know that his tracking back isn't his best asset. And to be honest, I think Doherty kind of needed him to do that yesterday. And he just wasn't there. So it's really tough to manage. I think... Personally, on the form he's been on, you kind of wanted him to start that North London derby. But the way we kind of played from the offset, you kind of are thinking to yourself, actually, you probably would have a better impact towards the end of the game because we were asleep for, for the most part of it in the start. So it is a strange one. I mean, I think it there's a big thing in this club at the moment about confidence. And I think it's all about playing players at the right time with the right confidence because the likes of obviously Delhi we've seen, he only plays well when he's got a bit of confidence behind him. And we haven't seen that from in, in recent times because of that lack of confidence. So it's a tough one to judge. I mean, I'd like to say Jose did play the right card and playing him. But again, I just think the way we decided to go out from that tunnel, it just never really turned into anything, so to speak. Yeah, I'd have to agree on that front. Patrick, I've got a question from First Last on Twitter. It's a bit of a multi-point question, so I'll spit it up. First up for you, though. How do we get a dominant midfield, he asks. Do we need an extra body, more importantly? Are we a little bit lightweight with the formation that we're currently working with? It seems to be working in the main, Sunday removed, but it's coming at a consequence that Schoenberg and Nubele aren't really bringing the best out of each other. So do we need to revisit that shape? 
You know what? It's a really good question. To be honest, I think it just highlights how poor our second string or our, you know, backup players to these guys are because Hoiberg has pretty much played every minute of every game. Um, he's tired. He needs a break. But because we don't have, you know, uh, a second string midfield enforcer who can do the job that he does, we have to play him. And even when we're playing um, maybe a Europa League game or FA Cup game and it's, it's a game that we should win, if we're not doing well, he has to come on again. So he never really gets a rest. Um, and on Bele, obviously, his um, fitness and his performance levels are a lot better than last year. But he still isn't, I wouldn't say, somebody that can give 90, 90 minutes every game. So again, he's somebody that we need rotation. But when whenever we bring in Winks or we put Suzoko in those positions, they're just not good enough. So the problem is, I do think three in midfield is, is the right formation for us, considering our attacking players. But because we don't have good key, you know, like players that can rotate in that position, say like Chelsea or Man City or even Man United who can switch players around. That's why you see these guys playing every minute and they, they're getting tired now. And so their performance levels naturally are dipping. OK, Hulse, to add to that point to the question, First Last also asks, is the deeper issue that we're not actually good enough as a system of players? I think Patrick might have just touched on that, but superstars or not, is the system at fault at the moment? it's really tough to decide because I think what um, Patrick's touched on is, is great because you'd naturally think that we'd be able to replace Hoiberg with someone but the person I would replace Hoiberg with to give him a rest is currently out on loan and that is Skip so do I look to the bench and think Winks is going to do a job in there certainly not so it's tough to decide but then on the flip side you're thinking to yourself I don't think Winks is naturally a person that would sit sadly I think we've seen him play his best days obviously we're going back a a long time ago was when he was playing a little bit more further forward so again it's whether we've got the right players to play the system like we've touched on and right now it's just not to the right depth in a sense that we are missing key players for rotation and I don't really know where we can go forward but in recent weeks bar the North London derby it seemed to work so I don't really have any qualms in the sense that this isn't the right formation because it has worked for a long period of time I think just Sunday was just a massive blip yeah, I agree with that. I don't think really there's a change of shape that can be made, as you say, Holes. Like what personnel would make that better? I think you've just sort of explained it perfectly. It doesn't. So I think we need to sort of stick with that 4-2-3-1 or 1-3, whatever you want to look at it that way. But I think that's the kind of way forward. I think this is just a massive blip that's sort of taken us off path a little bit. But Patrick, I'll go back to you because Jonathan Williams has come in with this comment and he's sort of said that Lamella has gone from hero to zero in less than an hour. Waving your hands about face height when on a booking is just plain stupid. If his hands are foot lower, nothing happens, not even a booking. So is that just mindless? Is it something that's throughout the squad? I know James has touched on this before, that we have a lot of players that just don't think. They're not really intelligent, as Jose Mourinho has requested in the first place. So why has Lamella had a brain fart? Yeah, you know what? With the Lamella thing, it's quite... As much as I, you know... To be fair, I think the second yellow was a yellow. In this day and age, you can't react like that. Not like react, but you can't do that. As soon as a player goes to ground and you're deemed to have hit them in the face or, you know, uh, struck out, it's an instant yellow. The first yellow, uh, it, was a bit, it was a bit harsh. But, you know, Lamella plays on the edge. And to be fair, it's a quality that we love about him. Because to be honest, other than Lucas and Lamella, no one was up for the game yesterday. So in one sense, you know, I... 
I can't really get that angry at him because he, he was the only guy who was showing fight other than Mora. But then at the second uh, in in a second instance, it was really stupid for him to do that. Uh, Tierney was nowhere near him, really. He 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 was already past him, so he didn't need to hit out at him. And Michael Oliver seemed to want to give us cards at any instance. So it was a uh, it's, it's something where if the ref gives it, you can't really argue against it. But yeah, it was a bit silly, and it. The thing is, I don't know if it cost us the game because when he went off, that's when we actually started to play. So I don't really know what to think about it. It's a weird, weird situation. It was a weird game. Well, it wasn't a weird game. He just didn't play well. But it's only when Lamella left the pitch, we actually started to show some intent and some fight. So I don't really know what to think. Well, that leads me perfectly on to Jonathan's question because, Carl, he asks, why did we only start playing with 10 men on the pitch? Yeah, it's it, it, and like I say, that that is one of the things that come the end of the performance, isn't it? I think a lot of us are scratching our heads as if to say, like, well, actually, hold on, why did it take us to go two one down and then ten men down before we actually seem to sort of like wake up and suddenly think, well, actually, do you know what? That that's going to attack these guys because you know they are defensively frail, um, and we saw that at two one, didn't we? You know, the panic station suddenly struck them. You know, they're putting balls out for. Fr- and misplacing passes and suddenly giving us corners um, under no pressure at all. And it did just make you think, well, this surely, you know, this should have been the game and mindset from the very off. You know, we know Arsenal have been defensively frail for years now. Um, so you don't go out and say, well, listen, that's sit back against this lot and give them time and everything. You've got to say, no, you've got to attack them because they are weakest in these positions. Um, and if we get at them, they can crumble pretty quickly. Um, and I think that is where we're all sitting here saying, well, no one's really sure what the game plan was. You know, was it? Did Jose send them out with a tactic to sit back um, and soak it all up and try and hit them on the break? Um, And if so, he left it far too long before changing it because, as we said, after the first 20 minutes or so, you could see what was happening. You could see that, you know... They would, you know, Tierney's a great left back, you know, one of the best in the league. So you could see after 15 minutes, well, that is causing us major problems there. Him and Smith Rowe were getting joy all game. You needed to change something there and change, you know, maybe you could have put Mora out wide and brought Bow inside and said, well, look, listen, Mora, you will trap back in that. So let's have a little change up here um, to try and counter that. Um, and yeah, and, and what we're trying to do just isn't working. So we need to change it up. So there are major questions to be asked around, you know, what was the tactic? What was the game plan going into that game? Uh, and yeah, and why did it seem to be that we had to wait so long before people woke up? But it's not the first time that's happened this season, is it? You know, we got countless games where you could sit there and say, well, actually, it wasn't until the game was gone that we seemed to suddenly wake up and and suddenly take, you know, take the foot off the brake and, and go for it all of a sudden. And if we'd maybe done that 20 minutes, half hour earlier, who knows what might have happened? Um, none of us will actually know, will they? You know, the post-match interview, Joe says, sitting there saying, well, you know, it's not the way I told him to go out and play. Um, you know, you got the impression at first he was potentially prepared to go and throw someone under the bus by, you know, players went missing. He then suddenly seemed to want to, you know, keep away from that after that first interview. So whether or not he suddenly thought, oh, actually, I'll better not make enemies here because uh, I'm going to get asked, who do you think has gone hiding? Um, so, yeah, j- just really bad. And, yeah, you know, you've got a question 
whatever the tactics were there because it clearly didn't work and it was clearly left too late to make that change in that game. Well, Carl, I'll stay with you because in that last period when the Alamo was being thrown at Arsenal, there's an offside goal, rightly so. We hit the post. I don't know how much you believe about luck in football, but is it a day when your luck's not in or is there more to it than that? It's Well, it seemed to be, didn't it? I think, like as you say, with the Kane free kick that hits the post, you then have the Sanchez follow-up, didn't you? And, you know, Gabriel knows nothing about it, does he? Suddenly just turns around and the ball's smashing him on the head and it goes wide. You know, you then have a couple of chances after that later on where you just think, yeah, it's not going to happen today for us. You can have those days in football. But then the problem with that, Dan, is that as a team, you've put yourself in that position because you've started slowly. You haven't come out the blocks. You haven't got going. Um and that's why you're ending up chasing the game so much as you are towards the end. And as we know, you know, you're always going to get chances, but that day just this wasn't our day and, and it never looked like we were probably going to be able to get that, that second goal to get us back in it. If the game had gone on, say, another 10, 15 minutes, who knows? Um, you know, you probably could put a good argument to say, well, if there was 10 more minutes on the clock, I think we'd possibly go and nick a leveller. Um, but again, don't put yourself in that position from the start of the game to have to be chasing it. Better to suddenly take your foot off the gas with 10 minutes to go than having to try and find and put your, put your foot on the gas. Many professionals will tell you it's not easy to try and suddenly pick your momentum up and get going all of a sudden. You know, you need to be in that frame and mindset from the very beginning. Um, so I think, yeah, we just shot ourselves in the foot massively, didn't we? So, Hull, sometimes in football you're on the pitch long enough to be the hero and the villain, something that Eric Lamella certainly was. And let's be honest, he's got an absolutely filthy goal. However, is that going to be lost in the context of defeat and his red card? Sadly, yes. I mean, like you said, he's gone from hero to zero in what? One game. Not even a whole game because he wasn't on from the start. It's just an utter madness. And the thing is, how amazing it was and the audacity to even try that in the North London derby is disgusting. And then it's ruined and cancelled out because he's got that red card. I just It shows how well he can play on his day to then how bad his temper can take control of him because that's purely what it is. It's the Argentinian inside of him and he's, he's just seen red and, and gone for it. And that's the thing is, even up to that, you're thinking to yourself, even when he came on, you're thinking, hang on a minute, I think this guy's going to lose his head at some point. And don't get me wrong, I think he did add an element of aggression because to be honest with you we lacked that across the whole park but if only one man's doing it and the rest of the team aren't you're kind of going to leave yourself out to dry and I sadly feel that's what happened and I think we all kind of knew it was inevitable that at some point he's going to get that yellow and if he carries on he's going to get that red so yeah I, I fully agree I think that that's the trouble with Lamela. he can have some brilliance and then he just falls off the face of the earth and does something so silly like he did well, I think, that, Dan, because that is the thing, isn't it? As much as I agree with Patrick sometimes, you know, Lamella plays on the edge, as we say. But unfortunately, you always get the impression in his game, he's looking for that shithousey moment, isn't he? Where like, oh, can I stamp on this geezer's finger as I walk past him? And there are times where you have to and want to say, listen, you know, cut that out of your game. You know, just concentrate on actually what you're doing with the ball. You know, but people seem to 
get wrapped up and love the fact more that, well, he trod on Fabregas's hand in the 50th minute. Yeah, but he was shit up to that. And, you know, he didn't do nothing <laughs> in the game. But suddenly he's a cult hero because he's trod on someone's hand. And it's like, well, cut that out. Get the ball. Score goals like you scored this weekend. We'll love you even more if you're that sort of player. You know, yes, it can be funny, those shit housey moments. But like I say, use your brain. When you're already on a yeller, in a temperamental game as it is, and you know players are going to take any opportunity to go down nowadays, and you've got VAR that can look at this stuff, come on, use your head. I mean, for me, if I'm a manager there, when you know when I'm going in that dressing room after the game, it's kind of like one of those Roy Keane moments where you would want to have him up against the wall going, yeah, thanks, mate. We needed that, didn't we? You know, we really needed that at that point in the game when we're trying to get back in it. You know, yeah, re- thanks, mate. You're a g- great team player there. But don't worry, you'll look good on Twitter tomorrow because people will love you for it. Well, he comes on just minutes after the uh, sun injury and he's already in a little set of tech with uh, Shaka and you're thinking, oh, you know, he's up for it, which, is, as is Holly has referenced, is a positive, but it's all about maintaining that composure throughout the duration of the game and I think really Patrick he's been caught up by the occasion and the header's gone but when you look at the goal if we try and sort of throw it back to the one positive that come out of Lamella's performance the Rabona is an incredible act you know really it shouldn't be going in but it did as ludicrous as it is is it laughable that Eric Lamella doesn't have a right foot or in moments like that does he really need one you know what I mean he is so left footed it's mental but you know, as a professional player, I can't believe he doesn't have a left, uh, sorry, a right foot. But to try that, to to pull, to try it is one thing, but to pull it off and the power and the precision he got on it and the way it actually curved in as well. I mean, Leno had, it made Leno look stupid, but Leno did what he could do. There was, he just wasn't getting to the ball. And yeah, it was, I couldn't believe it when it happened. And the thing is, it was against the one to play. We were at, we were, our backs were to the wall. We were awful. And then all of a sudden, Lamella has the audacity and the panache. And, uh, it was crazy. It was, it's an amazing goal. But like, like Holly said, it's just going to get lost in the whole sending off and us losing the game. and all. But the actual goal itself, it, it's incredible. Like it, it should go down as goal of the season. Yeah, I just I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe what I saw. Um, yeah, exceptional. But it's just, it's just ruined, isn't it, by everything else that happened afterwards. Absolutely. I mean, in, say, what, five years' time when you're watching the Premier League years on Sky, that's going to be an amazing moment for you to go, oh, yeah, I remember that. But as of right now, means nothing because we lost to Arsenal and he's got a red card. So you're sort of thinking, yeah, it's great, but it's just fodder. It's just footage, content, if you will. And it's just, you know, minuscule in the grand scheme of the game. But, Cole, for the second week in a row, we were caught cold by a goal seconds before the interval. So, continuing to Palace in a way, actually made his life better in the second half because it gave us the rocket that we needed. There was nothing of that once Martin Odegaard scored for Arsenal. That's, yeah, it, it was such bad timing, wasn't it? You know, because you are just thinking, right, get to half-time. And given the way the game had gone, you'd kind of thought, well, can you play much worse than what we've probably actually played in in that first half? And you'd go, well, no, you know, you could only see things getting better. 
and suddenly you get in, get to be able to reorganize, you know, maybe make some changes, you know, if you feel you need to. Um, and suddenly you come out and, and you can take the game by the scruff of the neck. And but all of a sudden, it's just that killer blow, isn't it? You know, it, it, the, the morale drops a little bit. They've got their towels up. They're the ones now going in saying, well, listen, they've just lost Son as well. So that's a major threat for them gone. Um, you know, Kane's not looking on it today we can really go and push this game now. We're getting all this joy down the left-hand side. So if we keep doing that, something's going to come from it. So it, it was a real killer blow and something that, you know, it's all about concentration levels, isn't it? And and at the right times, making the right decisions. You know, when you've got a minute to go before half-time, don't try and play it trickily out the back. You know, just get rid of it in certain situations. You know, last week at Palace, we're suddenly giving them a silly free kick on the edge of the box and you're thinking, well, that's not what you want to do at this time right now. So... We have seen that through the course of this season, haven't we, where we've got sucker punched and, and really we're the ones that have shot ourselves in the foot. So I think that is something that's going to have to be worked on. Um, and it, you have got to kind of keep that level because at, at this sort of level of football, you know, all teams, no matter how bad they might have been in a game like Palace, you know, you could have been all over them. All teams have got the ability to be able to, in the blink of an eye, be up your end and suddenly causing you a problem. You've just got to make sure you stay on it. And unfortunately, we switched off um, when we really didn't need to. They got the goal and you kind of feel that that put all the momentum their way. And again, we never come out after half time and got going. And probably a couple of changes needed to be made a little bit earlier, but they probably weren't the right ones that did get made. And unfortunately, we just couldn't recover from that. So, Holly, at the end of Mikel Arteta's team talk, he would have decided to bring on Nicola Pepe. It was his raking pass that caused all kinds of consternation for Davinson Sanchez. Clumsy at best, highly reckless at worst, but in the most honest of your eyes, do you feel the Colombian gave away a penalty? It's slightly tricky to sit here and save away, to be honest. Um, when I first saw it, I was thinking to myself, that's a blatant penalty. Because you're looking at it and you can see that Lacazette's gone to have that shot he's missed it and then Sanchez has come through and clattered him now for me I feel like it's it's very clever on Lacazette's part because he knows where Sanchez is he knows he's going to come through and bulldoze him and to be honest I think it was really rash from Sanchez so for me to sit here and say it was it wasn't I think the trouble is if VAR was to look at it and had a second pair of eyes we'll probably be sitting here and it wouldn't have been a penalty but the fact that he, the ref himself doesn't go over and look at the camera, you kind of sit here thinking, hmm, OK. I think if that was anywhere else on the pitch and the man's taken out after the ball's been played, it's going to be a free kick. So why is that any different in the penalty area? So for me, I'm gutted that it was a penalty because I think if it was on the flip side and Harry Kane was brought down in that way, we'd all be screaming a penalty. I think that's the thing we kind of have to look at it in that kind of sense. But in terms of the way the game was going anyway, I don't think it really mattered regardless because that performance was nowhere near where it needed to be anyway. I just think it was a major blow again for the confidence for Sanchez. And I just hope he can try and shake this off because in the way he's been playing in recent weeks, I've been pretty impressed by him. But again, it's another silly error that, OK, wasn't maybe all his fault. But again, he's just gone in rash, I feel. So... Yeah, it's, it's a hard one to sit here and say either way for me. I mean, level-headed, I'd have to say it was a pen. But in my heart, it's not a pen. Well, penalty aside, I thought we had a decent game. And like you say, Holly, you just hope that blip from Sunday is not going to be something that 
plays on his mind for too long. But, you know, again, it sort of shows that is that mistake in him, which is only more frustrating. Patrick, in terms of the penalty argument, when you look at Lacazette, he's only serving up an air shot. And therefore, you could argue that the sort of foul threshold hasn't been crossed. And as Holly says, when you look at those kind of situations, you want to try and flip it back to your own team. If that happens down the other end, and Kane's been spleened by Gabriel, are you demanding a penalty in the same situation? Ah, yeah, so tricky, like Holly just touched on. Because at first instant, I generally thought it was a penalty. And I was like, ah, you know, I don't want to swear, but I was like... You can swear, it's fine. Yeah, I was like, ah, for fuck's sake, (laughs) what are you doing? But then when I look back at it, I was like, to be fair, Sanchez was left in no man's land. It was a really, I can't remember how it happened, but somebody, I think, I don't know if it was a poor uh, kick out by Lavisa, and then somebody tried to pass it back. And basically, it left Sanchez in no man's land. So he could only react to what had happened. Um, I think he played well. He's been playing really well. So I can't really be that angry at Sanchez because he did what any defender would try and do, which is get back. And, and um, Lacazette completely sliced the ball. The ball was. It was an air shot. The ball was going like wide to the corner flag. But Lacazette actually kicked Sanchez. So, to be fair, I don't think it was a pen. And even on the, and I'm surprised VAR didn't take a look at that and, you know, obviously uh, override uh, Michael Oliver's decision. Because if it was the other way around and uh, they overrid the decision, if Kane got clattered by Gabriel or Cedric or whoever, you would have to just say, you know what, fair enough. It's not a pen. So, it's, it's such a tough one. Of course, as a fan, you would take it all day long, but I really don't think it was. And that's not even with rose tinted glasses. I generally don't believe it was a penalty. Uh, and then also he got a yellow card as well, which was even harsher. So uh, it's, it's such a tricky one. The thing is, to be fair, Arsenal deserve to win the game. I can't even argue against that. They were a the much better team. They actually played with intent. They took it to us from the beginning. We only played in the last 15 minutes, but I still don't believe that was a pen. And for them to win it 2-1, and that was a winning goal. That's what hurts. So, Carl, you're the, how should we say, resident technology expert on this podcast. So I'm going to ask you about VAR and the lack thereof. Do you think Michael Oliver could, should have had a look at the monitor? And is there perhaps an element of arrogance from one of the best referees in the land? It does seem strange, doesn't it? Because I think, again, you know, you, I don't, you almost do get the impression there's that ego, isn't there, which... You know, he's given a penalty. He, he believes he's seen what is a tackle that should give a penalty. It does seem strange that the VAR official hasn't turned around and maybe gone, well, maybe just go and have a look at this just, you know, just to see. Because Lacazette actually does, you know, shank the ball basically off his foot. So it's not like the tackle from Sanchez is what suddenly made him miss the ball the way he has missed it. And at that point, you could see enough in there that it would make you think, mm, yeah, maybe just go and view it just to be sure. And, you know, we'll communicate with each other. And if you still think you're going to say to me, well, no, I still think that's a penalty, then I'm probably not going to overrule you because we know VAR's not going to overrule the official. And as we're told, it's not there to re-referee the game. It's just there to say, we think you might want to look at this again. So it does seem strange, given given when you've seen other instances that have been looked at lately, um, then you do sort of think, well, yeah, why hasn't he at least gone to have a little look just to make sure, especially given the magnitude of the game and the magnitude of the decision where you're thinking this is a decision that turns this game either way possibly right now. You know, that that's be honest, if we were four or five nil down, you'd probably wouldn't care whether he looked at it again because you're sitting again, game's done. Um, but when it's a tight game and you're going to make a big decision that can sway the way the game is going to possibly go, 
I always think a good referee should have the ability to say, well, I'd like to just go and see it again. I think, I think I've seen this, that he's clattered him, but I just want to be 100% sure. Um, maybe he was just that confident in his decision and he hasn't got anything in his ear from the VAR official looking at it to say, well, you maybe you've made a mistake here. Um, he just felt, no, I don't need to look at it. I'm happy. But I always think in that instance, you should. I think it also probably sells it a little more, doesn't it? You know, as much as we might be moaning, if you've if it had been reviewed, we could sit and say, well, they've even reviewed it and still come to that decision. Um, so I guess the thing that swayed his mind is probably just the wreck, you know, what maybe looks like the recklessness that Sanchez has kind of dived in. To, to the tackle um, and that's probably where he thinks that's what sold it for him um, but it does seem strange but the, these are the rules where I think people just want to see VAR ironed out don't we as to well let's come to a decision you're either going to review these or you're not going to we can't have one gets reviewed one week the next week nothing gets reviewed it does seem crazy but you know I don't you know, the, the performance, the reality is we could try and sit here and blame that decision for being what's cost us the game. But the reality is it's still the performance that's cost us that game overall. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, guys, you say, you know, if it goes to VAR, um, Michael Oliver has a look on the monitor and gives a penalty. I've got no issue because you're looking at one of the best referees who's had a second look and confirmed what he's already seen on the pitch. And you'd have no real recourse to have a moan. But it's that ambiguous nature of, well, why didn't he have a look? The tool is there, go and have a look. You know, that's the kind of frustrating thing. But I think we're trying to sort of find a reason or clutch at some sort of straws to try and mitigate the reason that we lost yesterday when really, as we've kind of come to the conclusion, we just didn't turn up. And Holly, you talk about best in the land. I wish we had one of the best right backs in the land because Matt Doherty is not the one. Now, I don't want to throw players under the bus and it's more a point about Kieran Tierney because he had a good North London derby when we met in... December. He had a very good one yesterday. He had Doherty on toast. So why do we not really identify the constant threat that he offers Arsenal? Honestly, it baffles me. I mean, the fact that we sat there and all of us at home could really see it after the last, like the first 20 minutes. I sat there thinking someone needs to go over there and double mark him because this is horrendous. Every time the ball goes out wide, he's beating Doherty and the ball's going into the box. And I don't know about you lot, as soon as the ball's crossed into that box of ours, I'm absolutely bricking it. So the fact that that wasn't identified really baffles me and the thing is credit does have to go to tyranny regardless of how bad we all think Doherty is he's probably up there with one of the best attacking left backs in the league let's let's be honest I mean it's tough and I think that's another thing that really baffles me the fact that Serge didn't start I don't know what's going on with Serge maybe he's still got a, a niggle in him in the fact that he's still slightly injured I don't know but for me I felt like Serge probably should have started over Doherty and again that sadly falls down to Jose and um, it's the first time I've sat there and, and thought to myself, I don't know what the game plan is today. And that's the first time it's ever really hit me. But again, you'd be thinking, Arteta's obviously looked at the, the team that we've lined up with and he knows that Doherty is probably the weakest link. And that's where they kept coming down the wing to try and alienate Doherty and it worked. So yeah, it confuses me in a sense that Doherty wasn't helped at all because we all know Bell doesn't track back as well. So it was strange, really, really strange. Well, Patrick, that leads me to my next point because it was obvious that Doherty needed bailing out and it meant that Bale had to come off for Musa Sissoko. At that point, do you feel that the white flag was waved by Mourinho as if to say, if we can get a draw out of this, then by hook or by crook, we'll take it. You know, seven minutes later, we concede the winner. So 
Do you think the switch at that point is a necessary evil to try and protect the right flank? Yeah, but it's a strange one because it should have been... I, don't, I mean, we could see it in the first 10, 20 minutes. And, um, you know, Jose Mourinho has paid 15 mil a year. How could he not see this? Um, as soon as we... I mean, to be fair, we all, you know, soon, an hour before, you see the team sheet and straight away we all jumped on Twitter and said we're not confident that Doc is starting. So we already knew what was going to happen before the game kicked off. And uh, he was getting rinsed, you know, left on toast. He was getting slaughtered. And they pretty much just targeted that area. He was the weak link. And rightfully so, they just kept attacking us down that side. So um, it's a strange one. I don't know why Jose didn't bring an Aurier. Aurier was on the bench. So if he's fit enough to make the bench and you can see uh, Doherty struggling, why didn't we bring him on? So um, I don't really get it. I don't really understand why. Because then, uh, sorry, Suzoko coming off, uh, coming off after we've already taken Bale off. It meant it meant that we um, sacrificed somebody in the middle. So it was just a really strange performance from players and manager. And it, I'm baffled as to what the actual game plan was. Like you just said, it's a strange one. So, Carl, in terms of substitutions in general, one was enforced, one we've just mentioned, and the other was Deli Ali coming on for Undumbele. When you look at those three, is that another element of the day where things were lost, or is there more to it again? I think, as we say, the, the sub for Son, you you can't odds that, you know, he's got to come off. And, and ultimately, you know, if things worked out, the guy who came on for him, who scores your weldy, could set you up for the win. So you can't argue with that one. That that was a good sub. I'm like the guys, to me at half-time, given what I'd seen in the first half, I'd have been tempted to bring Doherty off at that point and put Serge on um, thinking, listen, I've got to protect that side of the pitch. Um, also, you could have shifted, as I said earlier, you could have shifted Bow inside and put Mora out wide and saying, well, listen, OK, now I want you to kind of trap back and kind of help this guy out and we nullify that threat. And you know Bow is good enough with his quality to where he can float around the middle of the pitch and who knows, he might have been able to pick the ball up a little bit more and have more of an influence. Um Ndombele for me was gone I think you could see the last couple of games he hasn't looked himself and we've kind of started going back to that situation where you think he's only got 60-65 minutes in the tank left in him Um, he was having a bad game so again do I do I question that decision no maybe not you're chasing a game you can see a guy's not on it you've got Ali on the bench you've got to throw something in there but I think ultimately that kind of starts from the beginning of the game because for me, I don't think this Hoiberg and Mbele partnership works. I think we do have to push and Mbele forward into that kind of number 10 role because I just don't think he can work hard enough in that centre with you know Hoiberg there. You know, that this could have been a game where you could have seen Sissoko and Hoiberg in there for purely given what Sissoko will give you in terms of his running and his battling in there and just let Undenbele float around Kane, Son and Bao. Um, but, you know, they're all things that with hindsight, it's always easier to look back and go, mm, yeah, well, I would have done this or done that. Jose, I would say, knows a lot more than me. Um, you know, his record proves it. But I think that decision not to kind of counteract what was happening on the left-hand side with some subs at half-time, ultimately, I think, cost us and cost us dearly. So, Holly, late in the second half, Sky Sports put up a graphic at Harry Kane's touch map and there was no final destination in the Arsenal area, which, frankly, is staggering. So, is that... A consequence of Sun's injury, not getting the service? Is it the way the team is set up in general? Is it even the way that Mikel Arteta set up his Arsenal? 
what do you make of no final third joy within the last first 70 minutes or so? I think he's carrying a knock. I, I seriously think that blow to the knee uh, on Thursday has, has done him in, sadly. I think the fact that he just didn't seem like he was on his A game. I think I saw him once come in deep to try and receive the ball. And we know that he's added that element to his game. The fact that he'll try and receive the ball when there's nothing really happening in the middle of the park. And I think... To be honest with you, I just don't think he had the legs in him at the weekend. I mean, we obviously saw him manage to get that that shot from that uh, free kick late on. And I was thinking to myself, if this goes in, that's it. I'm jumping for the sky. But again, that was something out of nothing. And the fact that we had to wait so long for him to have that chance, again, shows it wasn't out of open play. It was, again, from a free kick stance. So, strange. I, I honestly don't know where I can really pin my hopes on it. Maybe it's because Arteta, like you said, has done his homework. He did his homework with Doherty. He's done his homework with Kane. He knows if he isolates him, stops him from coming inside, he's not really going to do a lot with the ball. And I think we saw that. But I definitely think it was a mentality block in the sense that he's got that knock on him. And I think him and Jose pushed themselves to play him because we all know how much this means to Kane in a North London derby. And I think he did push himself. And I just don't think he was ready, really. Yeah, it's a difficult one, though, isn't it? Because if he doesn't play then there's an absolute huge uproar. You know, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't, really. So you want your best players to start as much as they can. But sometimes when you see the actual performance, you think, is it worth the reasoning as to why they play? You know, it's difficult. But again, you know, we're not managers. We don't make those decisions. We're not even privy to the conversations about fitness and are you ready to go? And if we're really honest, Harry Kane is always in his mind ready to go, whether his body will support him. But Patrick, the final North London derby point to you. Actually, it's more the league in general. But really, now's not the time to dwell on the result as a club. It's happened, it's really annoying, but there are still 10 games to go. Now, we spoke about the monster run might be difficult, so we have to take this one step at a time. The first step is Aston Villa, and the best remedy is three points on Sunday. Exactly that. You know, I don't want to get my hopes up, but I also don't want to be too down in the dumps, because we know this league, this season, is so inconsistent. And, uh, you know, your Chelsea's, your Man United's, your Leicester's, uh, Liverpool's, they're all going to drop points. Uh, they've all got to play each other as well. Um, so, you know, as much as I don't want to say that we're... Oh, West Ham as well, can't forget them because they're, they're in the mix this season. Um, we, It's in our hands at the end of the day. Other teams will drop points. As long as we do what we know we can do, we will have an outside shot. But we just need to... Three points is all that matters. And I was even saying it this week. Aside from the fact that it was a North London derby, it was a chance to get three points and, you know, obviously add to our, our, our points tally. Sadly, we didn't take it. But, yeah, the, the best um, remedy is to just bounce back and get the three points. Aston Villa will be a tough game, but we should be able to beat them with or without Jack Grealish. And then we just um, keep it moving and hope, hopefully, hope the other guys drop points as well. OK, I'll get your predictions for that in a minute. But before I do, I want to have a quick look at the Europa League action that happened last Thursday. And there is some cheer to end the show at least, Cole, because that's the fact that we've recorded a first leg win over Croatia's UFC middleweight champions. Yeah, it, it was a good, solid performance, wasn't it? You know, I felt going strong was the right thing to do because for me, I felt, you know, given the fact we were at home and obviously potentially, you know, there was no travel implications for, you know, having a planes and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, at the end it didn't work out because we didn't even travel to North London on Sunday, did we? <laughs> but, you know, you kind of felt, well, given given how it's, this fixture has worked out, we could go strong, win the game, still end up being able to go strong Sunday and win it and then possibly save the legs for the, you know, after the second leg. Um, 
it was a good performance. I think, you know, job well done. Um, it's professional. We've got a good lead there. Given what I saw, I feel confident we'll go through in this game now. Um, and, yeah, you couldn't really moan. You know, you could come away thinking, well, yeah, you know, there were little things that you might think, well, it could have been slightly better here. Say Ndombele again didn't have a great game. Again, looked tired. Delhi kind of on the fringes a little bit. But we got the job done. That was the main thing. We came out unscathed, as we were all hoping for. Um, and I think we've kind of set ourselves up nicely to to get through in this tie now. So, Holly, Scheuberg got himself booked and will be unavailable for the second leg. Do you think there's a planned booking between himself and the manager? Possibly. No, you put that spin on it. I mean, it gave him a rest, won't it? So, I think that's what he needs. Obviously, we've mentioned that the man's played so many minutes because there's no one like him that can replace him, sadly. So... It could be tactical. I don't really know. I'm not, obviously, I don't have the mind of, of Jose, the, the masterclass man that decides to have all these um, cool little hits hits and tricks here and there. So who knows? But hey, it'd be nice to see Hoiberg have a bit of a break. Um, and like I said, I, like Carl said, I think this is pretty much done and dusted now. And also the fact that the uh, Dynamo manager is apparently in going to prison, um, which <laughs> yeah. has come out. So uh, who knows how that's going to turn out uh, next week, obviously, who's going to be there. But yeah, I think we're in good stead. So given Hoiberg a rest, I'm all for it. And Patrick, with the second leg on the horizon and the job nearly done, how strong do you go in this one to make sure we get into the last eight? Um, reasonably strong. We need to respect the opposition because um, obviously to get this far in the, in, in the Europa League, they have some quality. So um, I would like to see Vinicius start. I would hopefully like to see Kane not even on the subs bench, give him a rest. Um, obviously, Hoiberg, like we said, can't, uh, can't play. So hopefully Suzuko and Winks in there, get them a run, give them a run out. Dyer a centre back with uh, maybe even Tanganga. I don't know if he's registered. That'd be nice to see him get a run out. So relatively strong, but um, yeah, get, give some of the second string a, a chance to play. Uh, but rest the guys for Aston Villa because that will be a tough game. And ideally, I want to see us still try and get into that top four. I know it'll be tough. But um, I don't want to put us to put all our eggs in one basket and then end up falling short, you know, on both sides. OK, then, let's finish with the predictions for the Aston Villa game. Patrick, I'll send it back to you. What have you got for me for this weekend? Uh, you know what? I'm going to be honest and say probably a 1-1 draw. Oh, no. <laughs> no, Patrick, on your birthday as well. I know, I know. <laughs> you know what? After what I've seen and... Yeah, I, I hope I'm wrong. Usually I say 2-0 or 3-0, but just after what I've seen, and Aston Villa, they're not they're, they're a decent team. So, you know, it's not going to be a walk in the park. So I'm I'm going to say 1-1 draw, man, unfortunately. OK, mate. Holly, what have you got for me? Oh, I really don't know. I'm still deflated after yesterday, to be honest. I hope, obviously, coming in the week, we've rested some players with that Europa League game. So who knows? I mean, I'd like to sit here and say 2-1. It'd be great to have a massive bounce back. So I'm going to try and be positive. I'm going to say 2-1. I like it. And Carl, what about yourself? Well, unfortunately, I'm going to dampen the mood <laughs> even more. You know, I, I think, you know, Patrick, I think was, you know, 1-1 I would probably actually go for as well. But I just think with things like Kane potentially looking like he's picked up that knock, Son being out, unfortunately, I'm going to go for a 2-1 defeat. Oh, wow. Bloody hell. Um, OK, then I'll go for 2-2 then. Because, yeah, I think we're just... Deflation after Sunday adds Europa League action into the mix with the travel. I just think, you know, it's going to be difficult. I hope I'm wrong, like Patrick. I hope we're all wrong to a certain degree because I want a win, but I don't know. You know, 
This is going to be the pivotal game, really. I know they're all important, but if we don't win this one, I think then you are starting to look in the Europa League direction and thinking, right, by hook or by crook, we need to get in the Champions League and we need to do it by winning that competition. Anyway, we'll review that next Monday. And before we do, I need to do the admin for this show. And it's as simple as thanking my three Pod Squad members. Patrick, thanks for sharing your birthday with us. Sorry it wasn't quite a celebration. Yeah, no, it wasn't great after yesterday, but today really picked me up. So, no, thank you for having us on here. Really appreciate it. I always have fun. And, um, yeah, it's um, been a good pick-me-up after yesterday's debacle. I'm glad to hear, mate. Holly, cheers for joining us and bossing it in midfield tonight. Much appreciated, as always. No, thank you. I think I'm finally getting my minutes now. I've picked <laughs> up my stamina, so we're all for it. But, no, thanks again, guys, for asking me on. Not a problem. And, Carl, thanks for running the channels, as always, and wearing the captain's armband. I hope you'll be with me next Monday. Yeah, definitely, mate. As I say, this is always good therapy after a game like that. Uh, wish Patrick a happy birthday and he enjoys the rest of the evening. Holes, keep doing what you're doing, mate, and knocking that content out. And we'll we'll see everyone again Monday. Fantastic. And with that said, it just leads me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. And as always, come on, you Spurs. For Spurs fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews and the best Tottenham videos and podcasts. Download the free Coys app now from the App Store and Google Play.